disciples like Peter, James, and John. Um, it's, it's a name that's not as easy to say, right? Janie kind of drew the short straw on her first day of scripture reading. She got this list of names starting with Tychicus, okay? Uh, but, but, but listen, without Tychicus, Paul would likely doesn't do the amount of ministry that he does. And without Tychicus, we might not even have this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. So let's understand a little bit about who this Tychicus is, okay? What we know about him is that he's from the Asia Minor region, modern-day Turkey. He probably came to Christ in Ephesus when Paul was preaching there. And we know that Tychicus was then willing to travel with Paul and stick by him through all the troubles that he faced, which, which that's saying a lot, okay? Like being willing to travel with Paul says a lot about the character of Tychicus. Okay, because traveling in the ancient world is not the same as traveling today. Okay, uh, like it, it, Tychicus wasn't just like, oh, it's fun to travel, right? I'll just go along with Paul because it'll be such a pleasant experience. No, traveling in the ancient world was dangerous, right? It was dangerous. It was dirty. It was tiresome. It was, I mean, you faced all sorts of things all around you. It was not easy to travel in the ancient world. We also know that then traveling with Paul was not easy either, right? I mean, Paul was not being greeted by banquets and, uh, and standing ovations when he entered places, right? He was getting beaten. He was getting thrown into prison. And so Tychicus not only is willing to travel, but he's willing to travel with Paul. Even throughout his beatings and imprisonments and all this, Tychicus sticks with Paul. And we see that Paul trusts him. And he thinks highly of him because there is going to later on arise a need for a temporal pastor, uh, pastoral replacement of uh, Titus in Crete. And Tychicus is one of the names that, are, that is considered for that position. Paul then, towards the end of his life, really wants Timothy to come see him and so they can see one another before Paul uh, dies. And uh, Tychicus is sent to Ephesus to pastor that church there so Timothy can come see Paul. And so this guy has stuck with Paul through it all, okay? He's, he's stuck with him through his imprisonments and through his beatings, and now it is Tychicus that Paul is entrusting to take this letter to the Colossians as well as the letter to the Ephesians and Philemon, okay? And so Paul really trusts him, okay? He's, he's entrusting him with this important task of delivering this letter to the Colossians, of taking God's word and getting it to God's people, which that is a high calling, and, and, and a guy should be trusted and proven himself to be faithful to take on that task. Which, I mean, first of all, praise God uh, that, that we live in now a world of technology where at the swipe of a finger or the click of a button, we can send God's word all over the world and we can get the good news of the gospel all over the world. But it was not that way back then. Okay, this was a difficult task to get God's word to God's people, to get this letter of Colossians actually to the Colossians. And so what would have happened is that uh, Tychicus would have set out with these letters. He would have had to probably set out from Rome and travel on foot through Italy. He would then have to get in a boat and he had to, had to uh, sail across the Adriatic Sea. He would then arrive in Greece. He would have to hike on foot through Greece. He would then have to get on another boat uh, across the Aegean Sea. He would then arrive on the coast of Asia Minor. He would then have to hike another hundred miles to get to the Colossians. 
That's, that's, that's quite an ordeal, right? Some of us felt like it was an ordeal just to like get in our cars and drive here this morning, right? This was an ordeal. But Tychicus, he sees this letter. He sees the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ that Paul is proclaiming. He sees Paul's call to maturity of the believers. And he says, hey, hiking, sailing, hiking, sailing, dangers, dehydration, illness, like it's all worth it. I'll take it. I'll take the letter. Like, we got to get this letter to God's people. And getting God's word to God's people, it's always been a dangerous calling. But, but Paul and his comrades in Christ, they saw the glory of Christ and said, hey, it's worth it. we got to take this to the people. And look at, look at then how Paul describes Tychicus. Look at verse 7. He calls him a beloved brother. A beloved brother. Paul views his comrade in Christ as family, as family, a beloved brother. I know if you grew up in church, right, or if you've been in the church for any, any sort of time, it's kind of the religious and churchy thing to call one another brother and sister, like, hey there, brother, hey there, sister, right? But listen, when Paul calls him a brother, he, he really means it, okay? He's viewing him as family, and we should really mean that as well, right? We shouldn't just throw those terms around lightly. When we call someone a brother or sister in Christ, we're saying, hey, we are a family. And we need to view one another as family, closer even than blood family, because we share a bond that can never be broken and will last for eternity because we have been united in Christ. And so we are family. Tychicus, he views Tychicus as his brother. And, and church, we are going to have to have some comrades in Christ. We're going to have to have some friends around us that we consider to be family. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, look at how else he describes Tychicus. He calls him a faithful minister and a fellow servant. All right, Tychicus is faithful and he's a servant. Let's start there with the faithful part, okay? To be faithful is to be trustworthy, dependable, and reliable over time, okay? Uh, to be faithful is to be trustworthy, reliable, dependable over time. It takes time to see the faithfulness of someone, Okay, you can't meet someone and that same day declare them to be faithful. To prove yourself faithful is to be dependable and reliable and trustworthy over time. And Tychicus has proven himself to be faithful. Now, that's not to say that all your comrades in Christ, that's not to say that all your friends have to, be, have, to have a perfectly faithful past in order for them to be your friend or to be around you. Okay, so hold on. We're about to get to John Mark. Uh, next week, we're about to get to Demas. They've got a sketchy past and history with Paul. So that's not to say that someone has to have perfect faithfulness in order for you to be their friend. But, 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 but this is saying before Paul is going to entrust God's word with this guy, he's going to first make sure that he is a faithful servant. And Paul, in a similar way, when he gives Timothy instructions on installing deacons, in 1 Timothy 3, verse 10, he says, And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. 
right? So there's this, there's this testing for someone to be shown faithful and blameless first, and then to entrust them with God's word and with God's people. And so there's some, there's some wisdom here, right, in allowing some time to play out with people in order to see their trustworthiness and their dependability and their reliability play out over time before we entrust them with God's word or before we entrust them with God's people. And this is why, as a church, we do not rush people into eldership or we do not rush people into leading a city group, even if we need another city group, right? This is why we don't rush people into leading and serving in ministry if they're not ready, because we don't want to put people that haven't first been tested and shown to be faithful. And here we see Tychicus was faithful. We also see that Tychicus, he was a servant, right? Paul calls him a servant. Tychicus was truly following in the way of Christ. He was living not to be served, but to serve. He was a servant, And having the mindset of a servant, it really runs kind of head on into so much of our mindsets as we live in the culture that we live in. Because many times we don't have the mindset of a servant, we have the mindset of a consumer, right? And those two things are very different. A, a consumer mindset wants to know, hey, like what's in this for me? Right? That's the mindset of a consumer. The, the consumer mindset wants to know how something is going to meet their needs. They want to be around people that have something to offer them. And they want to use people uh, in order to, get to, to have their own gain and profit from that. Okay, that's, that's not Tychicus. He doesn't have a consumer mindset. He's not trying to leverage his position with Paul to get something for himself. No, he's just serving Jesus. He's proving himself to be a faithful servant. And the mindset of a servant is different than the mindset of a consumer, okay? The mindset of a servant wants to know how they can meet someone else's needs. The mindset of a servant wants to know how they can pour into someone else. The mindset of a servant wants to be able to empower others for their good and for the building of God's kingdom. Tychicus was a servant, he was a servant. He was a beloved brother. He was a faithful minister. And he was a fellow servant. Church, do you have a Tychicus in your life? Actually, better question. Are you being a Tychicus for someone else? I retract my first question. Go with the second question. Are you being a Tychicus for someone else. When one of your friends thinks of you, would they write a beloved brother or sister? Would they write a faithful minister? Would they write a fellow servant? And we need to here follow the example of Tychicus as we surround one another as comrades in Christ. I mean, do you see how valuable Tychicus was for Paul? Can you see that Paul does not become Paul without Tychicus being Tychicus? Um, and uh, an illustration of this uh, uh, was from a story that I, I read about from the Civil War, okay? And this story can really be told by, by looking at two statues in Washington, D.C. They tell a story, but you probably only really know or have seen one of them if you've visited D.C., 
One of these statues is of Ulysses S. Grant. And I've always been drawn to uh, Ulysses S. Grant. I don't know why, uh, but there's just something about his name that I trust and I feel good about. Uh, I really like Ulysses. That's a cool name. Uh, but the statue of Ulysses S. Grant, it's, it's on the, the uh, let's see here, the east end of the reflecting pool. It's in the shadow of the Capitol building. And it's this huge memorial of Ulysses up on a horse. And it's recognizing his leadership in, in leading to the Union's victory in the Civil War. All right, so that's the prominent one. That's the one if you go on a tour of D.C., you're probably going to see. The second statue you probably won't ever see, and I believe it's been moved to different places like eight times, just as people are like, ah, it's not really there. Like, let's, let's find somewhere else to put it. And this statue is of a lesser-known Civil War leader and hero, and it was of, it's of the Major General John Rawlins. And Rawlins, he knew Grant before the war began. They were from Illinois, and uh, he knew Grant so well. They, they were close all throughout the war. He eventually became his chief of staff. But Rawlins also knew Grant's weaknesses and he struggled, in his struggles, and he knew that Ulysses had a weakness for alcohol and struggled with drunkenness. And so at the beginning of the Civil War, Rawlins gets Grant to take a pledge to abstain from drunkenness. And then during the war, whenever he sees Grant starting to struggle or stumble back into drinking, Rawlins would support him and stick by him and make sure he stayed sober. Ulysses S. Grant would not have become Ulysses S. Grant without John Rollins being Tychicus. And even the state of our union might be different too, right? Uh, the statue would have been more of Ulysses kind of slumped over in drunkenness on the horse and not leading the union to, to victory. So listen, Tychicus, all right, Tychicus did not get many accolades from people while he was here on earth. And we certainly have not remembered him like we remember the Apostle Paul. But God saw Tychicus. And God saw his faithful service to Jesus and his devotion to be a good friend and comrade to Paul. And church, so too should we strive to be like Tychicus to one another. Behind the scenes faithfully praying for one another, faithfully serving one another, and seeking Jesus together. What a good example Tychicus sets for us. Now, before you think that all your comrades in Christ have to have the perfect track record that Tychicus had, uh, we're about to be introduced to some of Paul's comrades that have a little bit of a past. All right? Which, which I think is encouragement to us. Uh, let, me, let me see everyone. Raise your hand if you have a past, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We kind of all have a past, and there's some, there's some things in there that, that, you know, hey, we're maybe not the proudest of. We all have ways that we've stumbled and haven't been faithful. We've all got stuff that we needed Jesus to save us from. And so let's learn a little bit about these comrades with a past. Look back at Colossians 4, verse 9. It says, and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, 
These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Okay, let's first talk about Onesimus, all right? Onesimus is a runaway slave who it's thought he likely stole stuff from Philemon, who's a part of the Colossian church. It's likely he stole some stuff from Philemon and then ran away. Okay, and he runs away and he ends up likely in Rome and he meets Paul and he comes to faith in Christ. Paul disciples him and now Paul is sending him back with a letter to Philemon. All right, which Philemon, it's a book in the Bible. You can go read it today. Uh, if you're needing a confidence boost in your uh, Bible reading plan, like you can knock out that book right like this afternoon. You got it. All right. And so uh, Paul writes to Philemon, urging now Philemon to receive Onesimus back, not as a slave, but as a brother. As a brother. And Onesimus, he's, he's really a real-life illustration of the power of the gospel, once a slave, now a brother. And remember, we've already talked about this some in the past, in the past couple of weeks. Uh, and so if you're struggling with the idea that, that Paul is addressing a slave or there's slavery going on, uh, listen into the, uh, a couple of weeks ago. But we've talked about that Paul is in no way promoting or approving of slavery, but he's merely speaking into the reality that he lived in. And they lived in the Roman Empire, and the fact was that there were a lot of slaves in the Roman Empire. And if Paul would have all encouraged all the slaves, slaves to revolt or stage a peaceful protest, the Roman Empire just would have killed them all. And so instead, Paul seeks to reform this slavery thing, which will eventually lead it to being outlawed, but, but he seeks to reform this slavery thing by having both slave and master recognize one another as image bearers of God, and for slave and master to recognize that Jesus is their true master overall. And so we see this, like pl Paul planting the seeds of some reformation in the idea of, in the, 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 the horrible practice of slavery. But listen, church, I, I know none of us have been actual slaves. But before Christ, we were slaves to sin. We were oppressed and controlled by sin. But then we heard the good news of the gospel that God saves sinners and this salvation was accomplished by Jesus and it was by God's grace through faith that in Jesus we are rescued from slavery and now adopted into the family of God and we are called sons and daughters of God. The gospel has freed and empowered us. And in the same way, the gospel had freed and empowered Onesimus so much so that he's now ready to stop running and he's ready to go back and face his past. And that was a big deal. Like, like according to their laws, right? A runaway slave, if he returns back, he could be killed. He could be imprisoned. He could be beaten. But the gospel had so freed and empowered Onesimus that he's ready to stop running. He's ready to face his past. And he's got his brother Paul alongside him, vouching for him and urging Philemon to no longer see him as a slave, but to see him as a brother. That's Onesimus. But Onesimus isn't the only one with a past. All right, look, look at who else's uh, name pops up here. We see Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Okay, this is John Mark, 
And us as a church last year, right, we preached through the gospel of Mark, which that's John Mark penning that gospel from uh, the apostle Peter's firsthand account. But John, Mark, and Paul have a history, okay? And it wasn't always that great of a history. John Mark had accompanied Paul on his first missionary journey, but then something happened and he suddenly departed. All right, and we don't know exactly why he departed all of a sudden. Some people speculate he got homesick. Some people speculate just it got too uncomfortable traveling as a missionary or that it was too dangerous. Some speculate that he maybe started to get jealous of Paul because Paul was starting to be more prominent than John Mark's cousin Barnabas. And so maybe there was a little jealousy there and he didn't want to keep going on. Maybe, maybe Mark got, got fearful. Maybe he got discouraged. Maybe he got tired. We don't know exactly what happened, but all of a sudden he leaves Paul. He kind of flakes out on him and goes back home. And then later on in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas are getting ready to hit the missionary road again. And I'm going to read this. We'll have this up on the screen. Acts 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Okay, so we don't know exactly what happened, but whatever happened, Paul was not too excited to do ministry with John Mark again, right? He wasn't too excited. He's like, hey, that guy has kind of flaked out on me before. I don't think we should take him. But what we learn in Colossians, this is now about 12 years in the future, is that now we don't see Paul shunning John Mark. We don't see that Paul has like cut him off or that he's dead to him. But now in Colossians, fast forward 12 years from the dispute, we now see John Mark listed as a ministry partner and a comrade once again. And so we don't know what exactly happened in these 12 years, but we can assume that at some point there was some reconciliation here. And that there was once again an opportunity for friendship and a partnership in the gospel to be restored. To read John Mark's name in this list to us at first might just seem like another name, but it is a beautiful picture of reconciliation and restoration amongst friends. Church, you will have friends that will fail you and disappoint you. And listen, I understand that that hurts, especially the closer the friend is, those wounds, right, hurt even more. And it might take some years for, 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 you to, uh, for someone to kind of earn your trust back again. But listen, we should not be closed off to forgiving them and working towards reconciliation. Because listen, many of you maybe do not have many friends because someone at some point disappointed and hurt you and you cut them out of your life and you've kept them at an arm's distance uh, away, away. 
and you're closed off to them ever coming back into kind of the, the fellowship and the friendship that you had with them. Church, let's, let's understand this first, okay? Like, like, why are so many people disappointing to us? Because humanity, corrupted by sin, is a huge disappointment. <laughs> and we'll just, we'll end there, all right? I love you guys. Have a, no, we can't end there, all right? But it's true, right? Apart from the grace of God, apart from the work of Christ in someone's life, they will be a complete and utter disappointment to you. And unfortunately, what we do is that after a friend disappoints us, not only do we usually close ourselves off to that friend, but we usually then even close, our, close ourselves off to just the idea of friendship in general. Like, well, I'm not going to let that happen again, right? I'm not going to let that person who got so close to me, I'm not going to let anything like that happen again. And so we close, our, we close ourselves off from a Christian fellowship and friendship because we still have scars that someone left on us from the past. And church, when we do this, we miss out on so many of the blessings and the encouragements and the comforts that God provides to us through the means of deep fellowship with fellow comrades in Christ. And look at who else then Paul mentions. And then look at what they bring him. All right, he mentions Aristarchus and John Mark and Jesus, who, let's just stop here for a second. Like, can we not feel bad for this guy a little bit, right? <laughs> I mean, this guy, just probably the, his whole life, had to walk into rooms of just disappointed faces, right? <laughs> hey, everybody, Jesus is here, all right? He walks in. Oh, no, that's not the one. That's not the one we were waiting on, right? And so he, call, he, he now goes by just us because he has to enter every room saying, it's just us, guys. It's just us. Uh, it's, not, it's not the one you're waiting for. It's just us. But, but look then at what these uh, fellow workers and comrades have brought to Paul. Um, and by the way, I've heard my jokes go, uh, they go uh, better over with our live stream uh, audience. So there was a little bit of a laugh, but I think our live streams, they're really tracking with those. Yeah, okay, all right. All right, Colossians 4, verse 11. Look at what these friends bring to Paul. He says at the end of 11, and they have been a comfort to me. They have been a comfort to me. Now listen, comfort is something that should be brought and not sought. That might sound cheesy, but I wanted it concise. I wanted it to rhyme. I wanted you to remember it, okay? Comfort is something that should be brought and not sought. And here's what I mean. We too many times seek our comfort. And therefore, we seek out friends that will make us comfortable. Right? This is what happens. We usually find the people who look like us and talk like us and walk like us and listen to the things we listen to and enjoy the same sorts of activities we enjoy. And we go to churches with these types of people, right? But we want them all just like us. Why? Because that's comfortable. When you seek comfort, you seek friends that will make you comfortable. 
Now, this also happens as we are thinking about the topic of mature believers and immature believers. This also happens with immature believers as they typically will seek out other immature believers to hang out with because that is what will make them the most comfortable. And so some of you might be hearing this as one of the concluding, you know, sermons to our sermon series called Mature in Christ. And you might be hearing that, hey, we need to have some comrades in Christ. We need to have friends around us. And you might get all fired up to pursue friendship. But let me warn you, don't go seek comfortable relationships or else your spiritual growth will be stunted. And we can look around and see that this happens when we're seeking comfort. We end up not finding it, we end up finding friends that are just like us, and therefore our growth and our maturity is stunted. And we also see this happen with immature believers who think they are more mature than they are, and they see themselves as so far above any other Christian on the planet, and their pride kind of then helps them justify being a Lone Ranger Christian. And honestly, that's that's the most comfortable thing for them to do. That's still them seeking their comfort, not having comfort brought to them by God's ways. So some of us, right, who are actually immature, but we think we're more mature than we are, we actually say, hey, no one else is really on my level. I have to be the guy that's running off into the darkness by myself. I have to be the one that's going to do this thing on my own. And as people do that, they reveal their true immaturity, claiming to be wise, they become fools. They're like my friend in the laser tag game, right, that says, hey, forget you guys. You guys don't know what you're doing. I'm taking off. On the other hand, people that are growing in faith, people that are maturing in Christ, realize that they need to be surrounded by friends who are seeking and serving Christ as well. It is absolutely vital for us, church. And as you surround yourself with people that are not seeking comfort, but seeking after Christ. And remember, last week we talked about walking wisely towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. We should have friends that are unbelievers, okay? That was, that was last week. But this week I'm saying, hey, we also need to have people around us that are seeking after and serving and loving Christ. And when that happens, then comfort will be brought to you by these fellow comrades. And, he, and here's what I mean. Uh, in our city groups this last week, this week was meal week, right? So many of us, we sat around dinner tables, we shared food, and at my group, we shared some testimonies, and we shared uh, some stories of how the Spirit had been working and leading us in the past. And, uh, and around my table, I mean, we, there was some diversity there, right? As far as different seasons of life, different ages, things like that. But it brought me such great comfort to hear how the Lord had been working in each person life and how the Lord had been calling to each person and how they had been seeking after and serving the Lord in their life. And what that did was that brought me comfort. Seek after comfort and you will not grow in Christ. Seek after Christ in a community of friends and you watch the growth and the comfort he will bring you. 
You see, we have to see our communities. We have to see our city groups. We have to see our churches as, as being formative and not just functional. And here's what I mean by that, okay? When we view our community as merely functional, that means that we are only valuing the relationships in them as long as they are fulfilling and functioning towards our needs and desires. It's sort of that consumer mindset once again. That's a functioning community. It's like a club, right? It's there to kind of function and serve your needs and desires. A mature believer does not view community as merely functional, but a mature believer views community as formative. And a formative view of community means that you value the relationships in your life and in your city group and in your church as a part of God's means of changing and transforming you to be more like Jesus. These aren't, these aren't clubs that we're creating in homes throughout the week, all right? We're not intentionally breaking people up and dividing, like, people who like soccer and people who don't like soccer or, like, kids, no kids, all this stuff. Like, it's okay if people do that, but the reason we don't do that is because we're saying, hey, this isn't a club. This isn't just functioning to meet your needs and desires. We want you to be formed by these communities. The church is formative. It's not a club. Your city groups are formative. It's God's, one of the, the means that God is using to form you and shape you to make you more like Jesus. Your friendships and your relationships should not primarily be functioning to serve your needs. Instead, you should be serving Christ through your friendships and relationships, and they will in turn be forming you to be more like him. But at the end of the day, I mean, why do we really need to be surrounded by comrades in Christ? Why do we really need to have fellow friends and believers around us? And listen, church, it's ultimately because we were created for community. We were created for community. Sin has crept in and broken our community. It's fractured our community. But Jesus redeemed us back into community, and we're going to eternally live in community. So it's kind of a big deal in the gospel message, this idea of community, all right? Church, we were created in the image of a triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, who has eternally existed in perfect community with himself. That, that does make our, our minds hurt, and I recognize that. But listen, our God is community, and we were created to live in community with him and with one another, but sin entered into the world and fractured the community that we had. But here's the good news. Jesus came to earth and went to the cross and took upon himself our sin. And as the Father's wrath was poured out on him, he willingly was separated from the eternal community he had experienced so that our sin could be dealt with, so that our sin could be forgiven, so that we might no longer be separated from God or from one another. We truly have a ministry of reconciliation. Through Christ, we are being united with him and united with one another. And it's when we trust Christ's community-creating work on the cross that the Spirit applies to us what Christ accomplished for us 
And we experience that union with Christ and that union with his body, the church. In Christ, we are no longer a slave to sin, but now a child of God. In Christ, you are now a beloved brother or sister. In Christ, you can now be a faithful minister. In Christ, you can now be a fellow servant. In Christ, you are now a comrade in Christ. And church, may we continue to seek Christ, and may we do this not on our own, but let's be good friends and comrades to, in, to one another and let's pray and work towards building this community that we were created for. Let's pray for and work towards building a posse like Paul had here. And may we continue to work towards being surrounded by men and women who are seeking after Christ, who are serving Christ, who are loving Christ, and may we in turn enjoy the growth and the comfort that that will bring us. Let's pray.